Welcome to DJ Grandpa's Crypt, the podcast of Kickstarter, the crowdfunding website. Each week, I interview real people with honest dreams. Today is Monday, July 29th, 2013. During This Week in History in 1999, the Blair Witch Project was released in U.S. theaters. This low-budget, independent film grossed over $250 million worldwide and utilized a web-based viral marketing strategy. Dude, that was cutting edge way back when. Forge of Honor, Order Blades, and Shields are also effective against the very sneaky yard monster. Let me know who's in the room. Who am I talking to? I am Winget. And her dad, Dale Taylor. Who invented Forge of Honor? And what's your name again? Widget. How do you spell it? W-I-D-G-E-T. Oh, like the real Widget. Oh, okay. (laughs) You're almost like a superhero then, I see. When the video and all tackling monsters and all that sort of stuff, that's kind of cool. You think your father's product or your family's product has enabled you to do all these sorts of cool things? What does enable mean? <laughs> well, let me put it to you this way. When you hold one of those swords or one of those shields, do you think that you can go to bed at night safe and sound? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now, how old are you? Years old. Uh, you've probably seen a lot in your, the five years you've been alive and stuff on the planet. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, Widget, before you go, because you might sneak off at any time, is there something you'd like to tell me about Forge of Honor? Forge of Honor is to help kids protect monsters. Protect kids, monsters? Kids uh, stay away from monsters. The shield has uh, the shield and the pillow. And the Tarjamon has a little shield at the end, too. So he can watch over you while you're sleeping. And the sword is all fluffy so you can sleep with it and it doesn't hurt. Goodbye. You know, we'll just think of her as the random element in the room. She's been really good at this. Of course, at five, you can't force them to do anything if you're... You're on a video shoot or whatever. If they're into it, they're into it. If they're not, there's nothing you can do to get them into it. (laughs) You know, I just watched the video again. Okay, I'll tell you the truth. I was thinking your project said Forge of Horror. And I was like, Forge of Horror? I was like, what sort of name is that for a kid's product? But I was like, okay, I'm (laughs) going to play along. I'm going to (laughs) play. I can't even tell you what one of my friends said he thought the name should be that rhymes with honor that little boys all right, would like. Well, okay, all right, well that, maybe that makes me feel a little better yeah, since there's someone more idea. twisted. Hi, my name is Dale Taylor. Time was when a teddy bear this size served your grandparents well in their battle against bedroom monsters. But these days, ugh, it takes a teddy bear this size. Let's take a look at a chart, shall we? My toy project is over 50% funded now and there's you know, half a dozen other toy projects out there that are just floundering. They're 10, 20 percent and not too much to go. And they're begging me, like, what did you do to get this attention? And they're like, I've been emailing everybody and no one's getting back to me. I'm like, I've been emailing everybody. No one's getting back to me either. It's really the Kickstarter community. You know, they're the a few like really active Kickstarter people found our project and they were emailing me. They're like, 
you got to do updates. What's the deal? You're not doing updates. I'm like, I don't, what do you mean do updates? And they're mm -hmm. like, if you want people to back your product, do updates. I'm like, okay, I'll do updates. And they're like, you need to get in the comments section. You need to get in the comments section and tell people about them. Get some people to ask some questions. Like, okay, I didn't even, I mean, I'd follow Kickstarter. Right. I backed a lot, but I, I had not really dug in to the community aspect of Kickstarter. I just like, right. oh, that's a cool product. Here's my money. Goodbye. Let me know when it's done. But there's this whole game, a whole game, a whole community of people out there. They're just like, they're on your team. You know, they're like, get off your butt and we're here. We're going to tell everybody we know, but you got to do these things too. Maybe this is wrong, but sometimes I look at a project these days and I say that they're kind of disrespecting the community and I don't think they're going to get funded. Crowdfunding sounds anonymous. It's almost like community funding. You've got to find a community on Kickstarter that you vibe with, you know, that you kind of have the same goals and get with that community and even work with that community, adapt your product and your strategy to fit that community. Cause they're ultimately the ones who are going to back you and spread the word. If you're a total renegade and it doesn't fit any community, then you got a really tough road ahead. And our road has been pretty tough just reaching out to the people we've met so far, but I'm glad there's a built-in community because if we had to bring everyone from the internet or offline, then we'd be floundering. It's the built-in Kickstarter community audience that you really have to reach. Dale and, hmm, I thought I heard it wrong in the video, but it actually is Widget. So I wanted to say Dale and Widget, I really appreciate you coming on the show, you and your family, your wife. I wish you guys <laughs> the best with the formulation of your company. And that is a very sophisticated video there that you put together. So anyone who's interested in toys and medieval and chivalry and all that sort of stuff and good winning over evil, go to kickstarter.com, type in Forge of Honor. Don't misread it like I did. And it'll pull up a very colorful page. Dale and Widget, or maybe Widget's not there. She could be. She's hiding somewhere under the cushions or something. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, and bye-bye. Hi, my name's Brian, and when I was in high school, I fell in love with these one-inch buttons the size of a quarter. Okay, um, Brian John Mitchell, what do you want me to call you, man? Either the full thing or Brian, either one's fine. I just stick to Brian. I'm liking that. And you use DJ Grandpa? I am DJ Grandpa. I don't use it. I am DJ Grandpa. <laughs> that was a nice try, though. Nice try. And now I'm trying to do a project to help promote some of my friends' art by making a series of buttons and magnets uh, featuring their artwork. I hope you dig some of their stuff and you can support the project. Thanks for your interest and support. Okay, now back to us, though, because I'm going to have complaints in a second now. Artist buttons and magnet sets. Yeah. Okay. Now, everybody, not everybody, but there's a lot of people that have button collections, but yours is also a magnet set. And my wife, she wanted me to, like, reach out to you and do this Kickstarter because I used to have the biggest magnet collection, but she made me take it down off of the refrigerator. You know, she was trying to be all spotless and stuff. Yeah. But I had like homemade magnets and embroidery type magnets and crocheted type magnets where they'd have a crocheted flower and then they put a, we put a magnet on the back and stuff. So it kind of made them kind of special. So when I saw your Kickstarter and it was for art magnets, well, I guess I can't lie and say when I saw your Kickstarter. But when my wife made me look at your Kickstarter, <laughs> <laughs> it was a perfect excuse to do it, you know. 
I've been obsessed with those little one inch buttons since I was a kid. Like right. I always thought they were super cool. And I'd gotten a button maker in the nineties, but it was one that was horrible. So it didn't work at that time. Right. And, uh, I've been touring with this punk band, the independence, and they had their own button maker. The difference between a hundred dollar machine and a $500 machine is the $500 one works. Right. So I decided to bite the bullet and invest in one and, been selling buttons at art fairs and stuff right. and then as far as it being available as magnets as well you can get magnet backs that they're designed to fit in that one inch button and so at a lot of the events the craft fairs and stuff people are like oh this is really cool but i don't know what i'd do with a button <laughs> and so that's kind of how i like realized oh well maybe i should have them be made into magnets as well my favorite has always been those little bitty buttons, you know? I mean, I used to have a Hard Rock Cafe or a Rock Cola yeah. Cafe one back in the day. Those are the only buttons that I've really kept are those little small one-inch ones that you're talking about. I noticed that, like, yeah, a lot of the people that uh, are coming up to me at the craft fairs and buying them there, people in their mid-30s to mid-40s who are the people that are like, oh, my gosh, I love these you know, and I think it's a, a nostalgia thing. And then, of course, kids like them because, you know, kids like buttons. Another thing that I thought was cool about you and your Kickstarter is you didn't really ask for much money. I mean, you just asked really for it was like you asked for gas money or something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, the way I use Kickstarter is I'm like, OK, this is a project that I want to do and I want to see if there's enough interest for me to do it. And it's like, the amount of interest that it takes is like the amount for me to just break even. Right. Well, my financial goal to break even is only $100, which I already met now. Right. My personal goal to make this project seem like, yeah, it's actually worth the time it took is probably like closer to $500 is where I'm like, yeah, this was worth the time it took. At $100, I feel like I need to make the buttons and that cost a little bit of money for the supplies to make the buttons and everything. Right. And then I'm going to need to mail them, which is going to be a significant oh, part yeah. of fulfilling the project. Yeah, shipping is not easy, man. Yeah, I mean, like, it's funny because, you know, they're they're super light, but because it's a rigid object, you still have to send it as a parcel technically. So it's like I'm in the end making like $20, and each of the artists is making like $5. Right. But, you know, still that's a burrito. Well, it is lunch money, yeah. Yeah. Right. Now what about um, you've backed like 30-some-odd projects, man. I mean, I like anybody on Kickstarter who I've seen has backed, you know, a bunch of projects because it's like... Yeah, it comes back around. Yeah, it's like you're a card-carrying member of the community, you're contributing to other people, and you're putting your projects out also. I mean, I interview a lot of people and, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I guess I don't want to say it, but, but I feel as though I have to say it. I, I look at their page and they, they haven't backed anybody on Kickstarter, but they're there asking for money. And it, I kind of, you know, I kind of roll my eyes a little bit and I don't like yeah, it. But I feel that way, too, sometimes. Like, you know, and I see people that they go to Kickstarter and they haven't contributed to any Kickstarters and they're asking for what to me seems like an exorbitant amount of money for their project. You know, yeah. it's like, but I mean, the whole reason why I've backed that many projects on Kickstarter is because I use Kickstarter as a discovery engine. Of the 30, however many projects that I've backed, I would say that I've backed like maybe five to people I know and the others are just like cool things that you see like going yeah. through the site, you know. That's what I what I love about it. And I, 
I would back even more projects if uh, if money weren't finite. <laughs> yeah, if money weren't finite, and also you know sometimes I look at people's projects and like like people that don't have a lower valued thing for people. You know, like it's like somebody's selling a comic book or whatever, and like the concept seems cool. They only have like one art image, but then their bottom tier is twenty five dollars. I'm like, that's a big investment for me just having seen one picture and not knowing the quality of your work. You know. Well, can I ask you one question that I don't yeah. know if it's rude or if it's the right question to ask you? Since you are just like I said, asking for gas money, pretty much. Yeah. Should I have more people like you on there? Like just these itty bitty projects? Or should I go for like the bigger projects who, I don't know, who maybe just bring more people, more eyeballs? And I don't even know if that's the right question to ask you, but. I mean, to me, I think the way you best serve the community is by going after projects that you personally find interesting. You know, it's like the compelling stuff that you would want to back. That's the stuff you get excited about. That's the stuff you talk to people about. I think my approach to Kickstarter is a little different than it's getting now, where I feel like it is getting a little more corporate and a little yeah. less punk rock. The Kickstarters that are worth talking about are the ones where you're excited about it. You think you'll have an exciting conversation with this person about what they're working on. I know, but sometimes I make mistakes, man. Yeah, you know, that's one of the things like that when I started to, to look at Kickstarter more seriously, and I was right. like, okay... What is it that makes me compelled to a project? Right. And it is, it's that personal narrative. Yeah. Like with my project, it's like, that's what I, what it opens with is like, hey, I was really into these buttons when I was a kid. And people were like, oh, he's, like, as opposed to it just being about, here's these things. It's like, I was into these buttons as a kid. I have friends that are artists. <laughs> I want to combine these two things. And you have that coin in there, that quarter that's just yeah, yeah, killing yeah. me. That quarter is killing me, man. Well, you need something so so people get an idea of scale because like people don't realize how small a one inch button is, you know. Yeah, but I love that. I love that, and that's now that's unique. You know, that's like the the, the glaring. It's like a glitch almost, you know. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know how to weave a narrative. See, there you go. <laughs> there you go. You know how to tell a story. Yeah. So do you, man? That's that's what makes your podcast work. I mean, yeah. you know. And I appreciate that, man. Yeah, man. It was a great conversation. Thanks for talking to me. And let's keep in touch, man. That'll be totally cool, man. Now, if you need to find Brian, if you need to find what he's up to, go to kickstarter.com, type in art buttons. It'll pull up his page. You'll see a quarter almost in the middle. I think that should be your trademark from now on. Every project should have that one weirdo coin off to the side somewhere. That could be your trademark. Brian, thanks for coming on the show. No, 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 Thank no, no, you, no. sir. No, 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 <sighs> Not again. Well, I guess I'm going to have to show my face this time. Hi, my name is Alan Becker. If you watch internet videos a lot, chances are you've probably seen Animator vs. Animation. I made the first one when I was a junior in high school, and it kind of exploded all over the internet after that. So far I've completed three in the series, and I've tried to step up my game with each one. Even though I intended for the third to be the last one, the end to the trilogy, I still got thousands of requests for number four. I want to make the people happy, but it's not as easy as it was when I was a high school kid playing around on his laptop. I've grown up, and now that I'm fresh out of college, time is literally money, 
and I can't devote hundreds of unpaid hours on anything if I want to be financially stable. You seem like the nicest so guy in the world. What's a kid like you doing on Kickstarter? I guess I would consider myself kind of a religious person, high morals. My uh, parents set me up with an arranged marriage, actually. Wow, see, that's cool. So now I'm married, and uh, I love my wife, and about to start our married life together. So this is kind of the first phase of my married life, starting this Kickstarter project. After that, I don't know, you know, married life begins, and we'll see how it goes from there. Uh, you know, and just say that's different, you know? Yeah. I feel like my wife really compliments me in many ways. For example, she's a lot more talkative and more outgoing and definitely would have hijacked this conversation if she was on here today. You should have brought her, man. <laughs> she's on the other side of the country doing a job. Okay, so now you alluded in your whole Kickstarter how you have bills and you have responsibilities now. You're all grown up. Right. You're married. I mean, do you feel a lot of pressure and stuff? Is that why you're doing the Kickstarter to kind of like, you know, to kind of help get things started pressure and stuff? Wife. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, just the pressure of being married, I guess, is, is its own pressure in itself. Having to be responsible for yourself and your own house and your own your own everything. I guess I've been kind of a stay-at-home, play-it-safe all my life, but now it's kind of, I have to kind of grow up, you know? It does sound as though you had people protecting you, you know, your family protected you while you were, while you were a little kid. You know, I'm talking about, I'm talking about personally, emotionally, and legally. So that's yeah. incredible. Your whole arranged marriage thing, you trusted your parents that much? Yeah. That you let them arrange your marriage and stuff for you? For me, I guess I just kind of trusted that they, that God was working through them. What about before you got married? You have four years of college and stuff. There gotta be, I mean, did you go to an all boys school? There gotta be like women there. <laughs> well, I got married before college actually. Oh, okay, okay. That kind of helped. That kept you <laughs> off the market as they would say. <laughs> wow, man, everything was arranged for you, man. Oh, the truth. Yeah. What gets you? What What do you fight for? Like any causes? Uh, usually with celebrity, you get to endorse stuff like <laughs> like certain causes or something, or you know, like cancer yeah. or little I'm, children. I'm not at that level yet. Endorsing things. If you had 220 some odd million views, man. I mean, I'm not saying you had to be rich to endorse something. I'm just talking about the actual fame. 200 million views doesn't really give me any power. You would know better than I. So. <laughs> Once it's out there, I mean, can't really change it. Okay, let's say if you were powerful, like 220 million views did bring you something. It, it was a commodity. What would you endorse? Um, See, another broad question. What would yeah, you endorse? Yeah, you're giving me another broad question, and I don't want to get political. <laughs> we're not saying political. I said, what would you endorse? I didn't say who? I said, what? It could be like Jerry's kids. It could be like cancer, you know. What would you endorse on a purely humanitarian level? Making it so that education doesn't have to be so expensive. And I think a, an ideal world wouldn't, would be a lot different from today. Not that I have any specific <laughs> ideas. <laughs> <laughs>
You are an interview killer, man. I'm, I'm I good at making the making my answers broad. <laughs> you are an interview killer. You could be like a politician the way you go on some of these questions. Oh my god. You're probably the worst dude I've ever interviewed on DJ Grandpa's crib, man. Yeah, I. Uh... I'm sorry. I'm sorry to say that to you, man. You you are I... terrible. I... <laughs> I believe it. Well, I mean, I gotta say that. I've come a long way since I was, you know, in my teens. I used to be, you know, flat, silent kid like me talking right now. I'm revealing a lot more than I would have ever revealed to anyone back when I was, say, like 16 or 15, 14. Right. I would only talk to my teacher. I would never talk to any of my classmates. Even when, like, my, my sister's friends were over my house, I wouldn't say anything until they left. Then I would be myself. So... I guess that kind of comes out even even today, but I definitely come a long way being able to do an interview in the first place. You sound like a great dude, man, and I'm really glad that that you trusted your parents enough for this whole arrangement thing. And <laughs> it's cool, man, that you had people like that in your life you could trust, man. And I always wish you the best, no matter how terrible of uh, an interview subject you are. <laughs> I always wish you the best, man. I'm grateful that you're giving me this opportunity. Well, you've given me the opportunity, man, to have to have to pull this out of you, man, to try and use every <laughs> trick in the book to, to get you to talk, so. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Are you a sci-fi type of guy? Nah. Now, that's not a broad question. Come on, man. <laughs> sci-fi, I mean... I like surrealism, like making things look like they're real, but I don't know, I don't like aliens. You don't like aliens, man. There's something wrong with you, man. You don't like aliens, and you're tied to computers. Yeah, I mean, aliens, just, it's never, it never seems real. <laughs> aliens never seem real, and, you live, and you're known for being a virtual reality king. And aliens <laughs> don't seem real. <laughs> <laughs> For anyone out there who used to draw stick figures when you were a kid, here's a guy who's still doing stick figures and people are really digging it. Go to kickstarter.com and look up Alan Becker. The Animator vs. Animation, number four, an animated short film. He's racked up untold views on YouTube and all these other platforms and now he's on Kickstarter. If you can't find it, go to djgrandpa.com and we'll we'll provide links for Alan because I believe he's a stand-up type guy and he's trying to make his way in this world just like DJ Grandpa is. Alan, I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk to you. I really appreciate your ability with words. I don't know if that was a compliment, Alan, but... <laughs> You're a very good radio host. <laughs> it was a compliment, okay? <laughs> now that you had the snarky okay in it, I wish you and your wife and your family the best, man. Thanks a lot. Hey everyone, my name is Steven Deeds. I'm a solo artist from the St. Louis area. I started this Kickstarter campaign to try and fund my upcoming album, The Cavern. Um, with The Cavern, I really wanted to tell a story. I wanted to get back to what I believe is the heart and soul of music. Find your way back to me. I need you here I can't live knowing you 
This week's musical guest, this gentleman, he calls himself a soul singer. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, his name's Stephen Deeds, and he's out of St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, found him on Kickstarter, of course. Stephen, I'd, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. May I call you Deeds? You can call me Deeds if you want. <laughs> now, tell me about your music, man. I've got a lot of influence from a lot of you know older rock bands like Led Zeppelin and you know, the Stones, even more folky stuff like Dylan, but a lot of my sound comes from independent ambient bands like Copeland or, uh, you know, Renee or things like that, so that's kind of where that sound comes from, kind of a mix of old school and some new school ambient stuff, and then I just kind of mix in a little bit of my own sound and that too, so. Now, how do you get from Zeppelin and the ambient groups and Dylan to soul singer? Really, I grew up around Zeppelin, and I always felt some sort of spiritual environment that they created. You know, they might not have intentionally done that, but there was something it tugged on your soul. It kept you in this environment, this place, while you were listening to their whole album. And that's something that I kind of strive for with my music, is just to kind of create an environment and uh, try to keep people's hearts and souls open to the sound that I'm trying to produce. I finally found my way back down to the ground. My pride was floating way high, now it's unfound. And I hear a whisper in my ear, take off your crown. You were once a pious king, righteous and proud. Do you see there's some sort of resurgence going on, you know, with all sorts of bands trying to recreate that moniker, you know, the, of like the Zeppelin-ish or the, you know, just, just, just soulful rock and roll right about now? Yeah, and I think it's a good thing. I mean, if you look at um, music over the last century, uh, we talk about the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, and even the 80s. And almost, we sort of talk about the 90s, but really the 2000s and the 2010s, you know, there were some really interesting things that happened with music during that point that kind of took people away from, you know, producing sound on their own. And instead, music kind of took this turn and it got way too commercialized and overproduced. And I think... People liked that for a quick minute, but I think people are starting to remember and appreciate the older stuff and ask themselves, well, where was music over the last 20 years? You know, so there's sort of this music in, in its original nature is sort of coming back in kind of an organic, interesting way now. Well, what do your fans say about you? What do you find interesting that maybe they say that you're like, man, I, that's cool. I never realized that. A lot of people tell me that I've got a unique style and a unique voice and it's something that, that they haven't really heard before. And that's something I do strive for, especially when I'm writing. I try to stay away from even listening to music at all. And I try to just be very introspective with my writing process, my sound, and try to come up with something that is different than you know people are used to. And that's something that kind of a resounding message that I hear from the fans. Rest now your spinning mind Watch stars hang in the sky Slow now your beating chest It's time to rest Why don't you 
tell me about the new album that you're trying to launch on Kickstarter? What, what's it going to be about? What's the grand scheme of things? This album is going to consume my mind for the better part of three years now. Three years? Three years. And I basically, I, the idea for this album, while I was on tour, or I guess it was 2010, for my last album, Dreamer, basically what happened was me and my buddy were on tour, and we're both acoustic artists. And we were driving down the, the road and we saw this sign on the side of the road for where you could tour a cave, right? So we stopped off at this cave and we took this tour and the guide told us this story about how the cave was discovered and the process of, you know, renovating the cave and how many people had died in search of a way out of this cave. The story started to blossom over the next, you know, six months or something. And that story is basically the foundation of the cavern. So after he told you the story, you just couldn't let it go for the next six months? Well, he told me one story, but the story that was generated in my mind was completely different. So this is an, or an organic story, but the inspiration came from me visiting that cavern. Do you consider this story like a boogeyman type of story? Like he told you this big, scary story that could have scared the life out of you, and, and you took it instead and wrote an album off of it? The basic story of the album is... It's set in early Americana in the 1800s. There's this plot of land with a group of slaves that are working on this field. And the main character thinks back to this time when his, his friend and family member had escaped and found his freedom. And so he thinks back to that moment and he says to himself, you know, if he was able to do this, why can't I do this? And so that was kind of the idea that sparked this whole story is his journey for freedom and uh, basically along the way, he escapes and he falls into this cave. And now he's escaped from one slavery into another. And now I'm stuck in this cave. And how do I get out? So not only does he find his way out, and I won't give away too much of the story, but not only does he find his way out of the cave, but I think he finds some of his self in that cave too. And he finds some personal peace. Hey, that's the whole story. You gave away the whole plot. Well, I didn't give away at all. There's some twists and turns and some unexpected things along the way, but... They'll have to get right. the uh, have to get the picture book and stuff to get the whole. Oh, that's right. I keep forgetting this is a multimedia project. It it's not just an album. It's also a picture book. Okay, well, who's the artist in the book? The graphic artist for the book? It's not graphic art. It's actually being sketched and illustrated. Three Bears Design out of Ohio. I've worked with them in the past on some art pieces, and uh, they do really, really good work. And I came to them and said, you know, this is my idea, what do you think? And they loved it. They ate it up. They sent me some concepts, and I'm, I'm really digging on them. So, you know, once I get the printing and stuff, I'm going to commission them to do the whole book. That's one of the bigger reasons I wanted to do the Kickstarter. For anyone out there, who likes a soul singer? And this guy is very soulful. I did listen to his music several times on Facebook. Check him out on Kickstarter. His name is Steven Deeds. That's D-E-E-D-S. And I'd rather call him Deeds. It sounds cooler that way. It sounds like Cool Hand Luke, James Dean, something like that. And the name of his project is called The Cavern Album and Picture Book. So it's a multimedia thing. And if you can't find it there on Kickstarter, you get lost for any reason. If it's too hot on Kickstarter for you, go to djgrandpa.com where it's always cool. And we'll provide you. Deeds, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Reaching high, falling low is where I'm going. 
Hello everyone, my name is Jonathan Bishop, I'm the author of the Legacy of the Sky series. Due to high demand from our audience, myself and AC are back together again, working on the manga style comic book based on our current novel. DJ Grandpa here, how's it going? I'm pretty good, to be honest with you. Uh, keep talking, you know, tell me about your day or something like your partner. Um... Um, basically, I'm actually single at the moment. I did have a girlfriend when I... No, no, no. The, the guy on your Kickstarter, not the girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, I could care less about it. <laughs> good. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah, what's up, everyone? My name is AC. I'm working with Jonathan Bishop on the Legacy of the Sky series. I'm the artist, and... Um, we did the novel before, and now we want to take it to a full-blown manga comic. Jonathan, welcome to the show. You're on DJ Grandpa's crib. How can we help you do it? Basically, I just wanted to get the word out there to in America just for people to back the project. Now, is it a book or a comic strip? Which one should I call it? Definitely going to be a comic. The first one was a book. All right, so it's Legacy of the Sky, Volume 1. Yeah. The Crying Sky Saga. Yes. So could you tell me what this comic book is actually about? The storyline. Basically, the protagonist is a boy called Janus, a young boy. He meets his mentor called Zenith, and they're given a mission, a quest from a nearby kingdom to go and assassinate an evil tyrant who's about to bring war on the world. And it sort of stems from there, but that's just the like basic outline. I've got it like that because I really want people to go and pledge and buy it because once you actually get into the story, there's so much more. And what I've tried to do is relate it to our own modern world history, religion and culture. So there's other cultures and, re and I've got a little bit about religion in there and our own world history that you know, people can relate to while reading it. Because I just didn't want a sort of fantasy story, complete, complete fantasy. So people can, like, relate to the storyline when going through it. Because I've got little aspects about, you know, Muslim religion, Judaism, Christianity. Now, I'm not trying to upset you, but I almost didn't complete the interview. I almost didn't follow through. And that was only because once my editor saw the cover of your Kickstarter with the women and all of that scantily, whatever, she was like, should you support this or not? I don't, you know, X, Y, Z. And I had a question mark also, but I pushed play just to see because you sent me a request. And I was sold on the story that was told in the video. And I didn't really see those women in the video, not as I did on the cover. So I guess I was just kind of wondering, why did you go in that direction? It to hear your editor say that I need to change the cover, my brother also said that to me as well. So, because he said it's a misconception of the story because he's read some of it and he's like amazed. He also said I should change the front cover. So I'm definitely going to do that because I don't want to scare away any pleasures. So I'm open to constructive criticism. Okay, now what gives you your grasp on reality? What gives you your footing? What's your life style that you're putting into this comic? Okay, I'm actually an engineer, to be honest with you. <laughs> what type of engineer are you? I do stuff with modules, certain metals called tungsten, aluminium. 
I have to solder, put together connectors. Yeah. And it's all for electronic pipelines. I mean, my uncle got me the job. I was lucky to get the job, basically, because I didn't have the experience. It was training on the job. You're telling me about elements on the periodic table and all sorts of stuff. I'm totally into that, man. I love science. <laughs> oh, that's good, man. Um, You probably wouldn't like the job because it's very repetitive. So is mine, man. <laughs> but at least, you know, you get to meet people, new people, yeah. especially from overseas. I mean, that's that's cool. I love the whole DJ Grandpa thing, the talking to people all around the world i mean that part is totally cool i guess i mean by repetitive it's like it's not easy editing hours and hours every week it's just not really that easy and you know you don't sort of realize the legwork you guys have got to put in yeah because i do some youtube videos now i'm reviewing other mangas when i'm not working right and editing the videos and stuff and it's like wow i didn't really know it was this hard <laughs> were people in your family were people around you were they supportive of your creative endeavors you know like your drawing and stories and stuff not really i wasn't really stable in anything i mean i used to play football soccer as you guys would call it i used to do you know quite a lot of stuff but i wasn't really like stable and then when i hit this i thought this is actually what i was meant to do this is what i want to do because I loved manga so much. And it was my best friend, actually, not even my family. My best friend was like, you like it so much. Why don't you try writing one? You've got an innovative mind. And I was like, really? Uh, like, it's far-fetched. And then I just tried it and I was like, whoa. And then when the book came out, I surprised my mum. You know, that was another high on my life. That to See, that I was able to put a big smile on my mum's face because she's pretty old. And I don't know how much longer... She's going to be with us, but... No, I understand, and I'm, I'm sorry to, you know, chuckle. I didn't I didn't mean that. I didn't mean it like that. Oh, no, I didn't even hear a chuckle. <laughs> well, when you said she was old, I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Probably the way I came across of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. No, it's fine, man. It's fine. Shout out to your mom and all. Shout out to Thank you, man. All right. Now, we've just finished the interview. I've asked the last of the questions. So guess what? I believe that Jonathan does have a unique voice. And I realized that when I pushed the button on his Kickstarter. So go to kickstarter.com, type in Legacy of the Sky. It'll pull up a very colorful picture. Like I said, I had to get past the picture. But <laughs> I pushed play. And it was a pretty cool story. He and his man told it. They sold it. Jonathan, thanks for coming on the show. No problem at all. Thank you for having me, DJ Grandpa. And I'm so glad that you believed in me and you pushed the play button. Welcome to War Command. This briefing will show you the basics on how to play. Let's get started. The cards. All cards are broken down into two types. Character cards and playing cards. A full deck contains six character cards and 25 playing cards. Are you guys first time gamers? This company was started by my brother to make War Command. Right. And I've been helping him out because War Command was really his first game design and he spent years like perfecting it whereas i've been programming little arcade games that i showed to my friends and stuff since i was like 13 or 14 so when he started getting the game to a level that he needed playtesting and a little guidance on the balancing and stuff he pulled me into the project and i helped him tweak the design a little bit and then he sort of started 
a company around it and really has just gone after it. It's been more or less Ray's dream to get this game made for a long time now, like three or four years that we've been working on this, although the company's only existed for about two and a half. So it's starting to turn into a family edition, huh? It's kind of uh, interesting working with family on a project like this where we have to be brutally critical to ensure the quality of the product. Do you sometimes smack them in the back of the head or something like that? You know, you guys get mad at each other? Mostly that's during playtesting. We've been clever about positioning our seating arrangements where we can't reach each other. Well, I like that. I like that. How old are you guys? Raymond's 32 and I'm 24. All right, but you still got to hit each other because you're brothers and stuff. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Do you guys have (laughs) official titles or anything? Or is just oldest or whomever's the strongest runs the company? No, Raymond's the runner of the company. I think he's the project director. He might be the CEO. I'm not... I'm not very business savvy, so I'm not that familiar with the titles. I know I've been credited for, at least for War Command, as design consultant, (laughs) (laughs) which I thought was really official sounding and nice. (laughs) I like your game from what I saw on the video. It was pretty cool. Would you like to tell me a little bit about War Command? It's a tactical card game that plays a little bit like Pokemon meets chess with a little bit of D&D thrown in for the combat, but Mm. all very simplified. We tried to take elements of the games that we, you know, had grown up playing like Heroes Quest and Battle Masters, of course, Pokemon for me, (laughs) Um, Magic the Gathering, and, and really also try to get rid of any elements of especially the collectible card game genre that seem a little abusive of the user. Yeah. So that's yeah. it'll be coming in a fixed box set and really the collectible items are the holographic cards. But the game itself is all about balance. When you're playing a game, you have a small deck. You only have six character cards which start out down on the board. And then you have 25 support cards that you can play to upgrade your characters or to support a single instance attack or defense or to play a spell on the enemy. Those cards are pretty easy to predict when you'll have them because there's only 25 cards in your deck, so it's not like you'll be waiting 200 draws before you get you know, the card you need. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, they allow the characters to play out using more spatial strategies so that it's not so important what cards you put in your deck the balancing of the game comes out and that it's more important to have your characters positioned well and with the support cards that they need. Right. Any character, there's even a grunt class of characters in the game who are literally just the grunts. They're the weakest characters, but they also have some of the most powerful support cards that play on them where you can have them spread an infectious disease to an enemy card that takes away one health point per turn Or you can strap a bomb to them and use them as a suicide squad. That's brutal. So every card has um, a different way to use it relative to the context on the battlefield. Right. It's not so much about the cards that you put in your deck as where you put them on the board and what you have to support them. Yeah, exactly. Comes back to your tactics. For anyone out there 
who, you know, likes war games, which I used to, or I do. Go to kickstarter.com, check out War Command. It's for the physical edition. They even have a digital edition coming out later, or, or maybe that's before. But I can't remember. But go to <laughs> kickstarter.com, type in War Command if you can't find it there. If you get lost, if you get sidetracked, for any reason, go to djgrandpa.com and we'll set you straight. We'll have all the links for the game. Rusty, thanks for coming on the show. All right, thanks a lot, man. You have a good one. I'd like to welcome Brian and Patrick to the show. We're talking about The Flash, the fastest man alive. And you haven't heard what I've asked them already because it'll sound like I'm just starting the interview. And I know that it's getting confusing, but sometimes DJ Grandpa gets confused. (laughs) So before I started the interview, I asked these guys, I was like, how are you going to do it without getting sued? And they told me it was a fan zine a fan movie type of adaptation and i didn't know anything about that i didn't know the legal ramifications nothing so they've explained it to me so now we go into the interview man i've never done it like this before it's always like backwards it's almost like a a time paradox a causality loop and as you can hear from that that i'm a big fan of sci-fi i'm a big fan of the flash i believe in the flash I love Central City. I wish I could have a little part in a movie where I'm spinning turntables somewhere before <laughs> before something breaks off. Brian and Patrick, dude, I love the trailer. I love what you put together on Kickstarter, man. You guys did a great job. That's cool. This is Patrick. Thank you very much, man. A, a lot of uh, people donated their time and a lot of effort. And uh, our editor and the effects guy, Brian McClurg, did a fantastic job. Sam Sullivan, our director, really got everybody together and uh, everybody jumped on board and it was a lot of fun to work with everybody. Don't forget Patrick Flanagan is the Flash. (laughs) You shouldn't hype yourself, man. That is probably against industry rules. That was Brian. I jumped in there, DJ Grandpa. I jumped in without saying my name. I told you I'd get confused. You guys got to keep me honest, man. <laughs> yeah, this is Brian, but I didn't realize, me and you sounded so much alike, but I forget that uh, we do, actually. I forget that part. No, you don't on the call. It's just like I get confused easily. I keep telling people that nobody <laughs> believes me. I really like the casting. I mean, what can I say casting? You only had like two people and some extras in there. Yeah, <laughs> Me and Ada. She did a fantastic job. That's easy to remember. Patrick (laughs) and Ada. I was like, why don't you tell me how this Flash, because there's probably throughout the years, there's been so many Flashes. So this one being a fan-generated one, how is this one different than any other one? As far as, uh, this is Patrick, as far as what medium? In comic books or or like TV show and all that? Let's say the fans really want you to put this together. You know, they really want you to do it. What can you guys bring to the table that all the other flashes in history maybe have in common or or maybe that makes you unique? We're coming from a fan's perspective as well, because all of us are fans. We want to give you basically the characters that are in those books in the best representation that we possibly can. You know, when you watch it, we want you to see Barry Allen. We want you to see Iris West or Iris Allen. You know, I thought that like, when you do a remake of a series, like it just, there was no way it could be different, really. You know, it's like they kind of got to stay true to what the series is or, or who the characters are. Until I watched 
the latest Battlestar Galactica, you know, of the 2000s. And then I was like, they can't have a female Starbuck. I was like, no, it can't work. It can't happen. I was like, no, that's Starbuck. But then they did it. And then I was like, oh, my God, that's Starbuck. I love her. You and every other uh, Battlestar fan, right? Hey, this is Brian. I'm a Battlestar Galactica fan as well. I love that uh, show. You're saying you're going to stay true. You're not going to switch anything up like that. And 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 then and then I'm thinking like, oh my God, I can't believe they well, did that. Well, this is that, Brian. If know? I may, Patrick, take this. Question. Yeah, go for it, buddy. Actually, I think if anything, that is what will be different about this live action um, interpretation of the Flash. Is it will be more faithful to the comic book. The past TV series wasn't so much faithful to the comic book series. I think we'll be able to show um, at least a couple of uh, storylines from The Flash if we're able to get the backing straight out of the comic books. And I think we'll be able to keep it faithful and the fans of the books will be really receptive to that. That's cool because I have a family and, and my children, you know, okay, I, kn- I know my family is not normal. I, I know my children aren't normal. <laughs> I mean, I give everybody that. What is normal, man? But, <laughs> but they're like, why all the superheroes got to be bad? Why can't they have superheroes like such and such that were superheroes, you know, and, and, and they're, they're talking about TV right. of the past. So, I mean, can I take it for granted? Can I assume, can I read into what you're saying that Flash is, is not going to be one of these tortured souls? If you don't mind me interrupting, that's one of the things that I don't know if you've read uh, Jeff Johns and uh, Francis's run after Flash Rebirth. And then uh, hold up, hold up. I, I told you not to test me <laughs> on my Flash knowledge. <laughs> Sorry, but, but what I'm saying is, and, and when uh, Booch jumped on, they've really like made that character again. He is just an old school superhero. It's just from the moment, I believe it's the first issue when he catches the steering wheel right in front of the kid and the kid is just in awe of Barry standing in front of him. Like, that's awesome. It was it was just a great mm. superhero moment. And you don't need to make him dark and edgy and brooding. Like, there are good guys out there that are trying to do the right thing. And you can still look cool and be a nice guy doing it, you know? This definitely won't be Christopher Nolan's version of The Flash. Yeah. We're going to yeah. stay true to the books. Okay, and you're not testing me with the Christopher <laughs> Nolan's thing either. Nobody's going to test you at all, all right? No, not testing you. I mean, it's my show. I only have a few rules, man. Only a <laughs> hey, few. I mean, you can cut this all out, if you, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. The editor's pen. And that's brutal, too. <laughs> You can you can make it look like you're testing us. Okay, let me be honest about this. I watched your trailer and I was like, dude, this is actually something I would watch. Well, that's <laughs> the know? best compliment anybody could get, right? When you create something, that's what it comes down to is you would hope somebody would enjoy it to watch it. There's some great movies yeah. out there that you'll see and you're like, that was awesome. And you never watch it again. The movies that like me and Brian and Ross grew up watching when we were kids, they're the movies like Avengers that's going to burn your DVD and Blu-ray player out because you're going to watch it over and over again. You know what I mean? And this Ross character, he's not a, he's not a mean and evil director or anything like <laughs> no, that. He, no. He's cool to work with. You know they got reputations, man. Yeah, no, Ross is a great guy, man. Ross is a great guy. You guys, it's not like you're getting paid, so you, you at least should have somebody treating you well. <laughs> yeah, and we got... We got Sam Sullivan. Sam's probably about 6'4", so he's keeping everybody in line, too. And he's a he's a gentle giant. Since this whole interview is theoretical, because I've talked about causality loops and going back and forth in time, and sometimes what I say might not match up with what you're hearing right now. I don't know if that makes any sense. But anyway, what if your series gets so big 
that people have to have it. How do you deal with that? I mean, don't you go in some sort of uncharted territory where you're crashing against Marvel Comics or something because you have this web series that so many people may watch on whatever portal, but then they also have products for pay or whatever? I mean, what I happened? think that's probably the best problem in the world to have is to have so many people wanting to see it that we would have to make more, you know? It would get to the point, too, where we do have other feature film script ideas that Brian's come up with, Ross has come up with, Sam. They all have some awesome scripts that are already done that we want to do some of our own originals. And I'll let Brian take it from there if he wants to talk a little on that, too. Yeah, he's more like yeah, legal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, Brian. I was, uh, I was actually going to jump in. This is Brian. If it came to that, and we had so many people wanting to watch this web series, and as you know since it wouldn't be making a profit on its own, it would be just free to watch. But I think if we got that big and there were so many fans clamoring for it, obviously DC and Warner Brothers would recognize that and either want to come to some sort of agreement to make it official. I mean, if, if so many Flash fans were accepting of it, you know? I, like Patrick said, I think that's a really good problem to have because if people are interested in your product, even if it's a fan film, the people who own that property are going to be interested in you developing that product further. I think that's the main goal, too, is to give something to the fans that we enjoy and that we hope they would enjoy because we are fans as well. And uh, if we saw anything that was from that into the Fastest Man Alive film, that would be an unspeakable awesomeness. Wow, that's cool, man. Well, I wish you guys the best as far as this whole Flash thing. And I said, you guys are top-notch quality, man. Even Brian, even though I don't see what you do behind <laughs> the scenes and stuff, I, I still feel you're like the legal department. Brian's great, right man. He's Make great. It. He's like a brother. All right. I, I mean, I, I don't feel anything negative from him. I feel total positive from you, Patrick. And, and Patrick, I have to say, you are the Flash, man. I, I watched it. Coming man. from a fan, that, that means a lot, man. I Believe it or not, I got yeah. nervous the day we went to shoot it, and like severely nervous. And I was like, man, this is a big deal if we get a lot of people to see this. I just want them to watch this and see Barry Allen. So that means a lot, man. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. So anybody out there? Within the sound of my voice, and, and I'm sorry for doing all the confusion back and forth and time loops and all of that. I won't do it again. But anyway, go to kickstarter.com and check out The Flash, the fastest man alive. Webisodes. And that's kind of cool. And like I said, I would have watched this. If it was on TV right now, I'd be like, dude, I got to get my cable back. I'd be like, dude, I got to get a, a Ronoco or whatever you call it because I'm missing the flash. Why aren't they putting this online? Why can't they let the fans watch it free? I'd be, you know, I'd do that to Fox or somebody. But anyway, it, it's going to be online. It's free It once it gets funded. And if you can't find it there, you're going to find links to the trailer to help it get funded at DJGrandpa.com. The Flash's sidekick. Matter of fact, DJ Grandpa is the Flash's favorite DJ. A lot of you didn't know that. It wasn't in the comics. But if you ask Brian, he knows all the behind-the-scenes stuff, and he tell you. Brian and Patrick, thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having us, man. I'm on it. I'd like to thank all our guests. I'd also like to thank our listeners. Each week, we couldn't do it without you guys. A special thanks goes out to Trevor Williams and to my mentor, The Mumbler, for providing music to DJ Grandpa's crib. Thanks to Theron Kennedy, our director of marketing, and to Jeffrey Banks and Bertram Zeke, our assistant editors. 
Until next week, so say we all. The homepage for DJ Grandpa's crib is djgrandpa.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, DJ Grandpa's Crib, all one word. Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, which helps other people discover the show. And don't forget to leave a comment while you're there. Our producer is Von Rupert. The executive producer of this and all Bedrock Communications podcasts is AF Rufus.